Welcome, welcome, welcome to One Flew Over the Shorebirds Nest, the Delmarva Shorebirds podcast. My name is Will DeBoer, the Director of Broadcasting Communications and your radio voice of the Shorebirds since 2017. Welcome back to the podcast, Season 2 of our team-specific Delmarva Shorebirds podcast. This was started last year, middle of the season, by a good friend Sam Jelinek, who was the assistant broadcaster here in 2019. He did a bang-up job with One Flew Over, and uh, now he has parlayed that and the experience that he got here with the Shorebirds into the head broadcasting job down with the Bradenton Marauders. So congratulations to Sam. He's down in the Florida State League right now. All of his Season 1 episodes can be found on our team SoundCloud page. That's soundcloud.com slash theshorebirds. Soundcloud.com slash theshorebirds. That's where you can hear Season 1 interviews with several of our 2019 Delmarva Shorebirds star players. Well, we're recording this thing from the brand new, newly redesigned Franklin P. Purdue Press Box at Arthur W. Purdue Stadium, staring out on a brilliant uh, green field. Caroline Beecham, our groundskeeper, has done a bang-up job with it in the uh, past couple of months. And, uh, yes, if you're keeping track at home, that's twice in this opening segment we've used the term bang-up. We'll try not to make it three, four, five. We'll try not to let you fill out a bingo card just with that phrase. Gotta say, it's a really strange feeling looking out at this field and not knowing when it's going to be populated by baseball players again. Of course, we're in the middle of our hiatus from basically the entire world with this uh, coronavirus outbreak and COVID-19 pandemic. We decided to bring back the podcast a little earlier than expected just to provide a source of, well, comfort is a uh, is a relative term in this case, but uh, comfort and uh, really just bring you anything you can need to uh, remind yourself that baseball is, uh, well, it's not gone away for good. It will return and we'll be back with it, and uh, we can't wait for it does. In the meantime, we got this podcast. What's going on in the podcast? Well, we've got several segments. We've got new business to attend to. We've got our call of the week, a highlight from a past Shorebird game. Our feature interview is with our own general manager, Chris Bitters, and we've also got the debut, debut of a segment called Fan Shots, in which uh, you, the fans, will be able to submit your favorite memories of the Delmarva Shorebirds over the past now uh, 24 complete seasons. Season number 25 will begin later this summer. With all that, let's get right down to brass tacks and head on to new business. We'll open the show with new business. Well, unfortunately, we've got a who-like situation. I meet the new business, same as the old business, Baseball and uh, sports specifically, but the world in general are on hiatus right now due to the coronavirus outbreak and COVID-19 pandemic. Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, of course, are in their season's delay. Major League Baseball was supposed to start on March 26th, Minor League Baseball April 9th. That's on hold, and the leagues are in a deliberation as to how to proceed, but we won't even pretend to know what's going on and what's going to happen, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh, if you are out there listening and thinking to yourself, I, I could use some more information on this whole coronavirus thing, you can uh, visit cdc.gov. That's the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. You can also locally visit to ycomicohealth.org if you're here in Wicomico County, the same place that we are as a team of the Shorebirds. Doesn't mean that the hiatus has stopped the flow of content. The content must march on. 
And it does. Uh, Thursday, if you're visiting our Shorebirds website and social medias, you'll find the final entry, the final slot of our Shorebirds Silver Anniversary Team, the 25th season of Shorebirds Baseball in 2020, and we've been presenting you the best player at each position to play for Delmarv ever since the opening of the team back in 1996. We'll close out the individual slots in the roster with our left-handed relief pitcher. That will come on Thursday. Last week, we had our right-handed relief pitcher, Ryan Kohlmeyer, a 1997 closer who led a really vaunted shorebird bullpen that won the South Atlantic League Championship in 97, their first title. Kohlmeyer was the main closer, finished off 24 saves that season. You can read about him at theshorebirds.com or wherever you get to your shorebirds social media. Other notable silver team members that we've been presenting since January. Calvin Pickering over at first base, Ryan Miner at third base, Orlando Cabrera, the first ever shorebird to make it to the shore, was the shortstop, Nick Markakis over in right field, and Grayson Rodriguez, last year's ace of aces, was your right-handed starting pitcher, and he was the only unanimous pick at his position on the Silver Anniversary team. So all of that is online. You can go and read up on the greatest shorebirds to ever pass through the Delmarva Peninsula. Also, if you got a copy of the Daily Times from the last couple of days in your possession, there's an editorial from yours truly in the Delmarva Daily Times and on the Delmarva Now website. My thanks to Ricky Pollitt for the offer to write that. It was a real joy to put that together, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Also, be on the lookout for another Spring Cleaning with Sherman video this week. And we've had a couple of those in the tank already. Sherman has uh, swept up some dirt from our 360 deck. He's wiped down all the seats on the first base side, not realizing that uh, power washing was a thing. Of course, a little bit distraught there. If you tune in uh, Saturday morning, we'll post the third video of this series in which Sherman... Uh, has his way with cleaning in the batting cage area and uh, gets a little sidetracked. We've also got the return of one of our recurring characters from the Shorebirds House repertoire. New uh, Sherman Spring Cleaning video online Saturday morning. And that'll do it for New Business. And now it's time for our Call of the Week. When the season starts, of course, we'll have the best highlights from the week that was around the Delmarva Shorebirds, but for now, we've got last year's highlights to draw on, and we've got plenty of them, ladies and gentlemen. After all, the Shorebirds went 90-48 and last season, best record in all of minor league baseball, by far the best record in franchise history. Translation, we've got a lot of great moments from the season that was, so what we're going to do during the hiatus is choose one highlight a week lining up roughly with uh, each episode of One Flew Over and when it gets released. This is our April 1st episode, so we're going to do something from opening week in 2019. And uh, opening week, why not just settle on opening day? It was a great one for the Delmarva Shorebirds. April 4th in Lexington last season, home of the defending South Atlantic League champions from 2018 and, of course, the team that won in 2019. But they did not have an opening day to remember, thanks to the Shorebirds. Top of the 10th inning, J.C. Encarnacion hits a go-ahead home run. Then in the bottom of the 10th, Tim Naughton enters in a tight spot and has a chance to lock it down. Here's the call from Whitaker Bank Ballpark in Lexington. Naughton toes the rubber, first base side. Ball behind his back as he leans in to get the sign from Fajardo. A long look into his catcher. 
A nod from Naughton. Ready at the belt. The kick, the 2-2. Pitch swung on and missed for strike three. Pulled the string back on a slider, and the ball game is over. The Delmarva Shorebirds win it in extras. J.C. Encarnacion with a two-run homer. Tim Naughton finishes it off. He leaves them loaded and escapes with the Delmarva Shorebirds' first win of the season. Shorebirds six, Legends five in ten innings. Our call of the week, the Shorebirds were 1-0 back on April 4th of 2019. One down, 89 to go in that historic 2019 season. It resulted in the team being named Minor League Baseball Team of the Year by MILB.com. Let's move on to the main feature of our One Flew Over podcast, the feature interview. Chris Bitters has been the Delmarva Shorebirds general manager since November of 2006, 14 seasons under his belt. This next one will be his 15th at the general manager seat. He is the reigning South Atlantic League general manager of the year, as chosen by his peers back in 2019. Without further ado, let's get to the interview with Chris Bitters. Who better to uh, help relaunch the new season of One Flew Over the Shorebirds Nest than the head honcho himself? Would you please welcome a general manager of the Delmarva Shorebirds, Chris Bitters. Chris, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Look forward to uh, relaunching the uh, podcast and uh, look forward to talking to our fans. Absolutely. Well, first of all, we are going through really something unprecedented in minor league baseball and really in the, the world right now, something in which there's absolutely no playbook to follow. How are you? As anybody asked you, how are you? How are you doing through all of this? Yeah, I appreciate that, Will. I mean, obviously, it's been a, a wild couple of weeks with a lot of information uh, coming out from obviously local, state, federal government, minor league baseball, major league baseball, and you know, the important thing right now is that our fans, our partners, and our staff are focused on staying healthy, um, focused on taking care of ourselves, and that way, when we are back, we're ready to rock and roll and. Um, really proud of the effort the staff has put in to deal with the, uh, the curveballs thrown our ways um, that we've had over the last couple of weeks and you know being very proactive and I think you know we'll continue to communicate with our fans continue to uh, have ideas on how we'll operate moving forward with promotions and things that uh, may need to be re rearranged a little bit so uh, so no so we're good I uh, appreciate you asking about myself personally but we're, we're, we're hanging tight and look forward to the uh, day when uh, Baseball is being played here at the stadium again. Oh, you and me both. And uh, the tricky thing about talking about this situation is that everything moves so quickly. By the time you know, we say anything specific and record this, and a week later there's a hundred other new things that have come out about uh, projections and, and what could happen with the season and whatnot. But I think you know, you, you've hit it on the nose. The thing to really do is just to re remind everybody that, hey, we're still here. We're still going to be here when this is all over, and um, we'll still be here for you to come out and uh, celebrate a return to normalcy. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, obviously, uh, we're doing the right thing as a sports industry of not having mass gatherings at a time when that's the, the rule of thumb, right? Social distancing. Um, you know, it's a new term, but we've all embraced it and have done a great job. And um, I think uh, the big thing, um, you know, for us is just to keep focused on the future. While a lot of the uh, answers are unknown at this point, um, just keep planning, keep communicating with our, our fans and uh, what you're doing. And, you know, working through the multiple scenarios that are coming before us that we really don't have the answer to, but um, we have good plans. I think the staff's done an amazing job of 
of really uh, you know thinking some things through over the last you know period of time to you know once we're ready to roll we can we can get back to having fun here at the stadium. Now you've been a general manager of the Shorebirds for uh, 14 seasons now. Arrived November of 06, 07 season was your first. You faced just about every possible uh, situation. You've seen just about everything as far as a uh, minor league front office man and general manager could see. I know the the one that stands out in your mind is something we talked about uh, earlier this week, and uh, the craziest situation you've been through might just be uh, late 2012 season Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, that was a wild one. Um, you know, I've been here as the general manager of the Shorebirds through the uh, you know the economic time we had in 2008, 2009, 2010 when you know those things went awry. Um, you know, we re retooled and, and figured that out and made it through that, and then. In uh, 12 was when when the hurricane came through, and um, we had actually uh, planned prior to the hurricane. Uh, we worked with the local state agencies that would be involved in some sort of evacuation plan for Ocean City. Huh. Um, and Ocean City has a lot of foreign workers that are helping out during the summer months, and uh, they realized a few years before 12 uh, that there was no plan that if the hurricane did come to Ocean City that the residents and tourists could easily leave with their vehicles. But most of these um, employees that were there for the summer didn't have vehicles. They were living in apartments and didn't have a way to get off the island, you know, on their own per se. So uh, for two years prior to 12, we worked on an evacuation plan to utilize the stadium as a stopping point to get them out of Ocean City into more inland area. Uh, symbol here and then we were having buses taken from here to Baltimore to the armory for safekeeping to uh, be safe and have a safe shelter for the period of time. Yeah, our stadium sort of being right there off of US 50 you can get to Ocean City, hit on the highway, take one exit and, and you're right there. Yeah so and for our stadium it's, it's a great location right off of you know 50 and 13 as it relates to getting to Baltimore or north to uh, Dover area or you know, to the beach or south to Virginia, we get a lot of requests to utilize us for um, emergency preparedness, and a various various groups you know call, and we've worked with a lot of folks on that because of our convenient location of the crossroads. And uh, it was really wild in twelve that we or ten and eleven we worked on this plan, and simulated it, and walked through the facility and what would we do, and had a whole action plan on it. And that morning in twelve, I remember getting a call. At, it was like five six in the morning, if I recall correctly, but it was very early in the morning that hey, we're at instituting this plan. And, huh. and we had a game that night, and that wasn't a factor that we'd ever talked about, was that if we were playing a game, what would we do? And uh, so, long story short, not to bore the listeners, but we ended up evacuating the uh, foreign workers from um, Ocean City and bringing them here to the stadium. We actually played a game that night, and a lot of these folks had never even seen a baseball game before, so that was a pretty unique experience for them. And what we did is we actually had our fans utilize the third base side of the stadium as general admission seating. And sit wherever they wanted on the third base side, and and uh, obviously we didn't have a huge crowd that day because there was a hurricane coming up the coast. <laughs> um, and then we had the uh, the foreign workers um, occupy the first base side of the stadium, and they would come in, get bus shipped off by bus. The emergency management folks would take, check them in, take care of them, and then at another time a bus would come from um, and take them to Baltimore. Um, to the armory, and we did that in these this rotational session until about two, three in the morning, until all of those workers were now transplant uh, transplanted to the uh, 
Baltimore, I believe it was the Armory in Baltimore is where they took them. And like I said, I think I stayed here until 2, 3 in the morning until it was kind of done and we were good. And uh, But we had bathroom facilities. We obviously had food access and they had a whole plan, obviously, to feed these folks and uh, make sure they had bathroom and other things they could access. And it worked out great. I mean, obviously, not the hurricane, but the plan being executed worked out great. And uh, those folks got to see a ball game to boot. So it was pretty wild to, to be evacuating the city while we're physically playing a ball game here at the stadium. I, that's got to be wild. And I, I can't imagine what's going through your head when you first get this phone call and realize, wow, this this one in a 100 scenario that we planned for for two years now, it's actually going to happen. It wasn't for nothing. We're going to get to show off our stuff here. Yeah, it was wild. And, you know, I did think while we were working through a lot of these processes and procedures that, you know, it's never going to happen. You know, it's never going to happen. And then, boom, you know, two years later after we had walked through a couple of times should stay in the planet. It did happen. It was wild. I'm like, oh. You know, then to have to come in that morning. So I got up, came right to the stadium, probably called Jimmy and and uh we, you know, obviously had to meet with the staff and say, Hey staff, this is what we're doing. <laughs> and, you know, we really hadn't shared a lot of the other plans with the staff because mostly me and thinking that we wouldn't be operating during the time of evacuation and you know, lo and behold, we were playing a ball game. So I think those folks got a kick out of watching a baseball game and first time they've ever seen that and, uh, you know, made for a good story now uh, years later. And that's one more unique thing about this region. Of all the places on the East Coast that could actually play a baseball game with a hurricane bearing down on you, it's, it's right here. It's in Salisbury. It's on the Delmarva Peninsula. Uh, that Chesapeake Bay and the ocean, you know, oftentimes you see rain that pops up out of nowhere. Oftentimes it acts as a sort of shield to the outside weather. And, and well, there's your proof right there as to how strong that shield can be. Yeah, it was wild, and I'm glad, uh, again, we were able to aid. And, and, again, that's been the big thing about the stadium is that we've always been a place for the community. Um, when they needed it, whether it's been massive snowstorms or whether it's been um, other events that we've had to have here, or Purdue's used it to store trucks over a period of time when they couldn't get north because of snow. So we, our location is ideal for the community, and uh, the size and mass of the stadium parking lot is also ideal for a lot of things. We're talking with Chris Bitters right now. He's the general manager of the Delmarva Shorebirds. And Chris, before you came to Delmarva, you had a, uh, another unique experience in minor league baseball, working two years for the uh, Bakersfield Blades, California League team that's uh, no longer there. But you were uh, vice president and GM uh, there for a couple seasons. Uh, how do you think that job uh, prepared you for this one in a climate which is, uh, suffice it to say, a little more uh, rain-prone than Bakersfield would be? Yeah, and Bakersfield, um, loves Bakersfield. It's a good time. It was a historic ballpark built in 1941, um, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was only a year and a half of my life, but um, it was a unique experience to, to really work in a ballpark that Don Drysdale pitched in. And many of the amenities and locker room and concession stands were just the same as when Don Drysdale <laughs> pitched there. So it was a unique place. I um, loved my time there and uh, had a home there and didn't intend on leaving. But obviously the opportunity of the Shorebird was too good to pass up. And, um, you know, it was really unique in Bakersfield because it was an all-hands-on-deck mentality. And uh, we didn't own a tarp in Bakersfield. We never rained out, never got rain in the baseball season. Or if we did, it rained for a little bit and, you know, become 100 degrees and you were fine. So in, in my year and a half in Bakersfield, and I think really all my time in the Cal League, I think we only had, I can only recall one or two rainouts over my entire, like, decade <laughs> almost in the Cal League um, as compared to here where obviously you're battling rain on a more frequent basis. So I think Bakersfield was a good experience. I came from the Ranch Cucamonga Quakes prior to Bakersfield, which is an operation of the size much more like Delmarva. Um, and uh, Bakersfield, much smaller, much older stadium, 
and it really taught you some of the uh, you know rolling up your your sleeves and getting dirty. And uh, there was only a staff of you know I had four or five of us, so you did a little bit of everything. And that that wearing a lot of hats really was true. I've mowed the grass there. We ran our own concessions, and you know, a very small operation, but it was a lot of fun. And it was uh, it had a lot of history, and and uh, especially back in when they were the Bakersfield Dodgers back in the day, Mike Piazza, Pedro Martinez. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting the uh, Japanese pitcher that uh, Nomo. Uh, yeah, Nomo. Um, he played one game for the Bakersfield Blaze on the road against the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, actually. Wow. But the one picture is uh, Hideo Nomo in a Blaze road jersey, and that's the one of the infamous pictures from Hideo Nomo's time in the minor leagues because he immediately went to the big leagues. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, Bakersfield is a great place. Um, great great community, much like Delmarva. That I liked about the similar parts of it is that. Well, Bakersfield's a very big market. I think there are 300,000 plus in the city of Bakersfield, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it very much has that community feel. Everybody knows each other. Um, and uh, that's clearly when I came here. The first thing you notice is that this is a big community that people look out for each other. They want to help each other. And that uh, is what we experience here every day here in Salisbury. And uh, Sam Lynn Ballpark was the uh, historic uh, venue that Bakersfield plays. And, and that's one of the more unique uh, venues in all of minor league baseball, uh, the center field is where the sun sets, yep. which obviously if you're a baseball player, if you're a batter, you stand in, a batter's eye's not going to do any good when you got that big ball of fire in the sky shining straight in your face. Uh, yep. Sam Lynn Ballpark. Sam Lynn was a local uh, beverage ball distributor in town, and him and some other folks raised the money to get the team there. Back in 1941, and uh, the ballpark is built backwards. Um, I don't know if there's any other in the country that are built backwards, but Bakersfield Blaze was built backwards. And as you alluded to, the sun sets in center field, so most of the games in Bakersfield don't actually start until uh, the schedule usually would say about 7:30. But reality was we weren't really thrown out of first pitch until about 8 o'clock. And uh, and so there was a lot of folklore behind that, and we were very fortunate in Bakersfield. We had a a scorekeeper named Tim Wheeler. Um, Tim was, uh, he kind of had the Cal Ripken streak of scorekeeping. He had been doing it for 20 some odd years and I think he had like 1,400 straight games he score kept at Bakersfield Blaze. And he also worked uh, for the hockey team in town. And uh, Tim was somewhat of the team historian. Been there forever and, and loved the team and it was part of his life. And We all never knew why the ballpark was built backwards. And then one of the fatal flaws they made, if you've ever seen a picture of the stadium in Bakersfield, is that the, the, we, they erected this huge batter's eye. Mm -hmm. I forget how tall it is, but uh, 50 feet tall batter's eye. And then the rest of the outfield fence has um, these big trees behind it trying to that. And what they did, the, the fatal flaw to a certain degree, depending upon the time of year, was that they looked at the center field area and said, we're going to build the batter's eye right here in center field. Mm -hmm. But the earth is on an axis. And so in the wintertime, the sun sets in one place. Oh, in the no. summertime, the sun sets in one place. Oh, no. So the actual sun, when it's setting for a portion of the season, actually completely misses the batter's eye and just keeps coming down and doesn't block it at all. <laughs> and thus you have the 8 o'clock games. So we wondered for quite some time in Bakersfield, why, why did they build a ballpark backwards? And uh, nobody knew there was a lot of folklore to why it was done that way. And finally, Tim Wheeler, um, he deserves the credit, I believe. Um, he went to the local library and pulled, um, what do you call those slides that you can go pull? And, um, you um, know, the microfilm. Microfilm, that's the name of them. He went and pulled years and years of these. And, find, and, and he found one from 1941. One of the theories that people always said, well, when the ballpark was built, it didn't have lights. 
false. It had lights. Mm -hmm. It had lights back in 1941. It was actually one of the first ballparks to actually have lights. Really? Um, if you do the history on it from what we found. And basically what happened was is that when Sam Lynn and his partners decided to bring the team to town, that was the location of the Bakersfield Fairgrounds. Mm -hmm. And they already had bleachers. So they already had the infrastructure of the stadium. They already had a concession stand for the fairgrounds where people would come and show their sheep and goats and horses and pigs and all this stuff. And that was where you would do all that. Well, they said, we already have the bleachers. And so basically what they did is they built the ballpark to where the bleachers were at already. Mm -hmm. That was home plate. And then now we built a ballpark out from it. Yeah. Why waste what you already got? And, and so we defuncted the uh, theory that didn't have lights because in 1941, the opening day of the Bakersfield team back then, I forget their name, um, they had a bunch of different names over all those years, is the first game was played at 8.05 at night under the lights. Mm -hmm. And so it was very challenging, um, but it was a lot of fun because of the history of the stadium. And uh, it used to be an old wooden stadium, and then in the 80s, the, the Dodgers um, and the ownership group back then knocked down the wooden part of the wooden part of the grandstands and built a more cinder block grandstands. It's nothing like Purdue Stadium has, but it was, you know, functional, and uh, they did great. They used to lead the Cal League in attendance back in the 80s, if I'm not mistaken, when they were the Dodgers affiliate, and uh, you had, you know, guys like, again, Pedro and Piazza and many, many others that uh, came through on that, so. Yeah, plus, I'd probably lead the league in uh, sunglass giveaways through the season. Yeah, I tried Sunday games at noon, and uh, I thought, well, if we're not going to draw well Sunday night at 8 o'clock because people have to work the next day, let's try playing at noon. And, and that didn't work out too well either because it was 150,000 degrees. Uh -huh. And uh, so there was days where my owner, um, the owner of the team, D.G. Elmer, was quoted once saying that, we had days where the temperature was higher than the fan counts. <laughs> um, and... Uh, um, and it was true. I mean, I, I tried. It was a, a failed decision, but I thought, well, rather than keeping us here till 11 o'clock on a Sunday night and nobody's here, what, what if we play at noon? And it worked out well. The players were okay with it, but it was smoking hot, but the fans did not enjoy that at all. So it was something I thought was being creative, but didn't work, but it was a handful of Sundays we risked. Yeah. Well, that's minor league baseball for you. You, uh, you try a bunch of stuff, some hit, some miss, but you learn, you keep uh, plugging away again, and it's those lessons that have led you yep. to where you are now and to uh, a decade and a half with the Delmarva Shorebirds. Uh, yep. Chris Bitters, general manager, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, really all the best to you throughout this hiatus and once we get going again through the season and let's hope we can bring another championship home to Salisbury. Yep, that's the hope. Obviously, uh, you know, we're excited for uh, the season to start and uh, look forward to our fans staying safe for now and doing what they're supposed to be doing and us doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we look forward to the days of, uh, you know, hot dogs and uh, hearing the crack of the bat again. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll raise one up for that. Thank Sounds you, Chris. good. Thank you, Will. Yeah. Appreciate it. Our thanks again to Chris Bitters for joining us for the feature interview. It's tough times for everybody in minor league baseball. General managers across the country are faced with really, really hard decisions about how to keep the lights on with no baseball, but there's no general manager I'd rather work for right now than Chris Bitters, and there's no company I'd rather work for right now than the Delmarva Shorebirds and our ownership group, 7th Inning Stretch LLC. They own Delmarva, they own the Stockton Ports, they own the Everett Aqua Sox out in Washington, and uh, really, I'll say it again, there's no company I'd rather work for during this hiatus than 7th Inning Stretch and the Delmarva Shorebirds. Time for our final segment of One Flew Over. It's something we like to call fan shots. 
2020 is the 25th season of Shorebirds Baseball, and it's got us reminiscing about those previous 24. Let's face it, we've got time to do so. There's really not much else to do in a baseball team right now. So, fan shots it is, and we invite you, the listener, to participate as well. You can submit your favorite memories of your favorite minor league baseball team, the Shorebirds, and you could hear them right here on this podcast. You can send them either a written or a spoken submission. Record yourself talking about your favorite moment. Send them to wdeboer at theshorebirds.com. We'll include a link of that email address in our podcast description. That's w-d-e-b-o-e-r at theshorebirds.com. Or you can post them as a comment on the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram posts of this podcast. We'd love to hear from you, your favorite memories of the Delmarva Shorebirds in a quarter century of minor league baseball right here on Maryland's Eastern Shore and the Delmarva Peninsula. We'll start with uh, my own for the fan shots this time. I may be an employee, I may be a broadcaster, but I'm a fan of the Shorebirds as well. I have uh, called 403 regular season Shorebirds games, my three seasons here. Two playoff games, and we've got countless memories already, many of them coming from last year's 90 and 48 squad, but nothing tops the surrealty of the night of July 13th, 2017, extending past midnight into July 14th and extending into that next night. Of course, I am talking about the 21-inning game versus the Lexington Legends. This is my Delmarva Shorebirds fan shot. July 13, 2017, Purdue Stadium here in Salisbury, Maryland. The Delmarva Shorebirds playing host to the Lexington Legends. Bottom of the ninth, Shorebirds trail 6-5, to five, uh, two down, man in scoring position. Alejandro Juvier comes up to pinch hit, ends up poking a single into the outfield, uh, bringing around the tying run. And the Shorebirds tied at 6-6, and it heads to extra innings. Of course, Delmarva had played several extra inning games that season up to that point, I believe the longest went to 13 innings, so we expect this thing will be done in 10, 11, or 12 or so. Well, the 10th passes, the 11th and the 12th and the 13th, and nobody has scored, and nobody scores for the next 11 innings that night. My scorebook only goes to 14 innings on one page, so end of the 14th, this thing is still going on. I'm flipping and frantically scribbling in the lineups on the next page as the action is going on, trying not to miss anything that's happening down below. Not that much is happening. After all, you got 11 extra innings of scorelessness to deal with. The press box gets giddy by the 15th of the 16th, and everybody is thinking to themselves, what in the heck is happening are we still playing? Yes, we're still playing. We're approaching the longest game in Shorebird history, which to that point had been 19 innings. It gets late, past 11, past midnight. I'm reading California League scores by the end because it's the only baseball still going on. And flash forward to the bottom of the 20th inning. The Shorebirds have two out with men on the corners, and Cole Billingsley is up to bat. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. And there's one of these pop-up Eastern Shore thunderstorms. It's basically right on top of us. If it were any normal night, the umpires would have already suspended the game by this point, and we would have just pushed it back to the next day. But it's the bottom of the 20th. We want to end this sucker. Keep in mind, we still have a game to play the next day. We want to get this thing over. We want to have a winner if we can possibly have one. And Cole Billingsley's got the chance to be the hero of that game. Well... 
the Legends had a catcher by the name of Luis Viegas. He was a veteran. They had brought him down to mentor a younger pitcher, kind of like a crash and nuke situation. He goes out to talk to his pitcher not once, but twice as Cole Billingsley is up to bat. And as the wind is whipping and the rain's on top of us and we hear thunderclaps all around, the home play ump is Jude Corey. He basically is screaming at the guy to come back, and we all are. And Viegas goes out, and we're like, get back here, get back here. we got to finish the game. And, you know, the catcher Viegas, being the veteran that he is, he shrugs. Shrugs as if to say, hey, man, I'm just trying to talk to my pitcher, Okay. Well, he does, and apparently what he said uh, was able to help quite a bit. Cole Ellingsley grounded out to second base. Everybody sprints off the field as the inning is over. The game gets suspended in the 20th inning. Now, I'm up till 4.30 that night or next morning handling all the media responsibilities from it. 20 innings, this is the longest game in Shorebird's history. Everybody's uh, asking about it. Everybody is saying, what in the heck is happening right now? 4.30 that night, I finally go to bed. And never mind that I've got a haircut the next day. Four hours from now, 8.30 in the morning, uh, got to the haircut, got to the ballpark, was ready. Jolt of adrenaline to start the 21st inning, which uh, approximately 6 o'clock that night with another game to follow. Now, I'm in the middle of my spiel at the uh, top of the 21st about all the uh, records that got set from last night, all the pitches, all the uh, batters, the length of the game was six hours at this point. And in the middle of this spiel, Lexington's Martin Gasparini, the ninth batter in the order, hits the go-ahead home run to right field on the fourth pitch. I'm in my spiel, and the ball sails over right field, and Lexington has a 7-6 to six lead. Shorebirds, to their credit, have a chance to tie it, even win the game in the bottom of the 21st. They load the bases with one out in the bottom of the 21st. A base hit wins it, and with a national audience, sends the Shorebirds into a level of national recognition that they had never experienced to that point. And uh, the batter, Milton Ramos, grounds into a 6-4-3 double play, and the game is over. Legends win it 7-6. That inning took 16 minutes approximately 16 minutes, and really was like that uh, longest game ever played in 1981, 33 innings. The 33rd inning only took uh, 16 minutes. They waited a couple months to play it, but it was over just like that, and the Shorebirds were on the wrong side of the longest game in franchise history, arguably the most exciting, arguably because by the time you get to the 19th and 20th innings, every single pitch, there's a lot riding on it. So the Shortbirds lose that game 7-6 to to Lexington and 21. Now they're supposed to play half an hour from now another game that night at 7. And it's only supposed to go seven innings. We actually got special permission from the South Atlantic League to play just seven innings because usually with a suspended game finishing up, you have to play a full nine. Well, they looked at it and said, well, this is madness. You only have to play seven innings. We didn't even have to play seven innings that night. Another pop-up rainstorm comes in, washes it out, game gets canceled, Lexington leaves town with history in their back pocket. 21 innings. Now, I'd like to think that that was the game that made minor league baseball say, oh, enough of this. The very next year, the extra inning rule came into effect, placing an automatic base runner at second base at the start of every extra inning. And the longest game that the Shorebirds have had since that moment that they installed that rule has been 11 innings. So by the time you get to the 11th, you think to yourself, well, hey, only 10 to go until history. And it was history. I was uh, grateful to be a part of it. 2017, in fact, was my first full calendar year of living on Delmarva. 
I called both a triple overtime win for the Maryland Eastern Shore men's basketball team that February and a 21-inning game for the Shorebirds in July. Two boxes of marathon action that I was uh, grateful to check, but certainly don't need to check again. That's one of those uh, career moments that is uh, 21 innings. Hey, once is enough. And that'll do it for this week's episode of One Flew Over the Shorebird's Nest. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review of the podcast. We're hosted on a website called Anchor. That's where we first published the podcast, but it's also available to listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. That's how you listen to One Flew Over. You can follow the Shorebirds on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other social media platforms, or visit theshorebirds.com for more information. You can also follow me personally, at Will DeBoer, on Twitter. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Our guest will be former Shorebirds Video Operations Coordinator and current Frederick Keys Development Coach, David Berry. New episodes will be available both during this hiatus and whenever we get back to baseball. Until then, this is Will DeBoer saying stay healthy, stay safe, and may all your favorite bands stay together. You've been listening to One Flew Over the Shorebird's Nest, the Delmarva Shorebird's podcast. So long, everybody. This has been a production of the Delmarva Shorebird's Baseball Club, Class A affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. (laughs) 